0: I am going to read to you a passage that Charles Spurgeon would say was one of his pivotal passages. I will, I will tell you, we're in Matthew nine. This is one of my favorite books of the Bible, and we're reading what you would call a hinge passage, meaning it's it's a passage of Scripture that um, it, it really is is a hinge between the first part of the book of Matthew and going into the second half, second part. In the first part of this book of Matthew, the first nine chapters, it's been all about Jesus. It's been about what Jesus has been doing, saying, teaching, healing, raising people from the dead. There is no one like Jesus. What you're about to find out, though, is as soon as this passage happens, he's about to commission his people to go and do the same thing that he's been doing, to replicate what he's been doing. In fact, at our church, our mission is to help ordinary people become passionate followers of Jesus. That means we want to do what he does. We want to be like he is. He's our king. He's our hero. He's our Lord. He's our Savior. Jesus is our everything. And so what we're going to read today is some words from Jesus that will be a hinge that I hope is going to lead us into what our, I would call our primary purpose. So let's start in verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. By the way, I just want you to know, every time I come on a Sunday... This is my model. He says the same thing in Matthew 4. He repeats it here in Matthew 9. Everywhere Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news, healing diseases and afflictions. It is my opinion that the job of ministry, like what I'm doing right now, is to teach God's principles, which is good, but that's only a TED Talk unless you do the second part, which is proclaim the gospel, which is why just so you know, I'll give you principles, but if the principles don't point to the prince of the principles, it's just a TED Talk, It's when you get to the prince of the principles that that a a TED talk becomes a sermon and can change a life. And then he says, go and heal their diseases. That's why every Sunday just about you'll see us praying for the sick. And many of you have even said many times, please don't stop doing that. I didn't tell you, but three weeks ago I got healed. I was sitting right over there. Uh, A month ago I got healed. Constantly we hear the testimonies of cancers being healed and operations being canceled and people's lives being changed. So just so you know, we pray in the name of Jesus for healing. And if you haven't yet been healed, in the name of Jesus, may the Spirit of God come upon your body today. I'm still reading. When he saw the crowds, and this is the line that just has choked me up this week. He had compassion. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest field. I want to talk about your primary purpose. Let's pray. God help. In Jesus' name. Amen. I remember reading on social media when Donald Trump got COVID, and I read people's responses to President Donald Trump having COVID, and obviously there were people praying for his recovery, and there were other sets of people that were uh, gleeful, rejoicing, giddy. And it was just really interesting, even, even to read the, the posts or reactions of even Christians. Fast forward, President Joe Biden got COVID. It was enlightening and surprising and interesting to read the responses of people when Joe Biden got COVID. Responses, some of which were heartless and gleeful and giddy and rejoicing over the possibilities, possible demise of the president. Very interesting because they were very, very similar reactions and responses as what had been said several years earlier about Trump, but just from a completely different subset of people, but using the same ruthless rhetoric. We live in a a heartless age right now. We have a compassion problem in our, in our world right now. If you are part of my tribe, I got you. If you vote like me, look like me, sound like me, think like me, I've got a lot of compassion for you. But get me out of that bubble... And I don't quite have the same compassion because it seems like compassion has become a limited resource of which we only have enough for me and mine. And yet we read where it says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion. All I'm going to try to convince you of today is this. Last week I told you that God has made you for an assignment. We're in a series called Living on Purpose, and last week I said you have an assignment. This week I want to let you know that your assignment or your purpose, that you have one, but our primary purpose is to join Jesus in his rescue mission of compassion. Our, your, my, our primary purpose is to join Jesus in his... Rescue mission of compassion, which means, number one, whenever we separate our purpose from his compassion, we lose our way. Whenever we separate, and put that up there, whenever we separate our mission from his compassion, we always lose our way. And if you spend any time right now listening to the news or talk radio or going on social media, if you spend any time, man, it's just savage. Like we are in a savage time. I mean, it's just savage. And, and of course, there's reasons, of course. You don't to get elected, you don't need to have compassion on the crowds. You just need to rile up your bubble. We know that, you know, like we know that you get to go hide in in your social media bubble and and do it, but it's, it's a brutal time. It's a cruel time. It's, it's a heartless age. And then there's Jesus. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion. It's, it's a Greek word. It's splenchnizomai. it's, it's, it's a word that comes from, it means to be moved in the inward parts. It's, it's a Greek word that was referred to like a, a, a Greek word that got used for like your entrails or your guts or your intestines. And so the word compassion literally means to be moved on the inside. That literally this means that Jesus was moved. When he saw the crowds, he was moved by them. What I'm watching right now are, is a generation that's discipling us to only be moved by people that look like us. To only be moved by people that vote like us. To only be moved by people that come to the same church as us. And yet Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he was moved. Who is this Jesus? Well, generations earlier, a man named Moses was up on a mountain. And God appeared to him on a burning bush. And he, he meets this God. And he has this conversation with God. And he says, God, show me your glory. In fact, can we just all pray that? God, God. Show me your glory. God's like, is that what you want? And so he goes and he puts him in a crack in, in this rock or something. He, put, he says, I'm going to let all of my glory, my goodness, is my virtue is going to pass by you. And when it does, I'm going to pass by you. And he says, and I'm going to proclaim. It's really fascinating. God says, I'm going to proclaim my name to you. Just so you understand the power of the name of God. God came down just to let Moses hear God say God's name, Yahweh, the I am. Yahweh. God comes down. He says, I'm going to to show you my glory. He says, I'm going to announce. I'm going to pronounce my name. And so he says it twice. Yahweh. Yahweh, in your English versions, it's in all caps, the Lord, the Lord. And then the next word he uses is the very first word of revelation that God gives to the Israelites, to the people of the world, to us thousands of years later. The very first word of description of who God is, that when you say my name, when you hear Yahweh, Yahweh, when you hear his name, what should come to your mind next? He says, this is my name, Yahweh, Yahweh. The very next word, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Who is God? He's compassionate. The word in Hebrew is rahum. It's related to the word reha, which is the word for womb. It's a similar thought that we get in the New Testament. It's the idea of a womb that a mother feels the child kicking in her womb and she naturally has compassion for her child. The word compassion in in Hebrew rahu it's this 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 idea of I'm moved in the inward parts that God doesn't just do things because he has to, God, it's almost as if he can't help it. He is moved by you. Let that sink in. God is moved by you. Like, like a mother that cannot help but love her child, like we've all seen some, some mother, the, 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 the son has robbed the bank, and he's, he's devastated people's lives. He's been sent to jail, and she's still there in the prison, saying, I still believe in my boy. She's moved because she says, that's mine. He's mine. He may be a wreck, and he may be messed up, but, but he's mine. He may be filthy, and he may be guilty, but that boy is mine. Every soul needs a mama that says, he's mine. God says, I am the Lord who is compassionate. This is why when you read the story of Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, there were two women that had a baby, you may remember, and one of the babies died and one of them lived. And they show up before the king looking for justice because they both claimed the child was theirs. Woman one said, child is mine. Woman two said, the child is mine. And And the king said, well, how can, everyone's like, how can we know? There's no evidence. One child's dead, one child's left. How can we know? The king says, I've got a great idea. Bring me a sword. Let's chop the child in half. They bring out the sword, get ready to do it. And one woman says, no, no, don't. Let her have my child. Because the Bible says she was rahum. She was moved. On the inside, to which Solomon said, I know who the mother is because the mother was moved. If you follow Jesus and you get on social media, they're supposed to know we're his because when everyone else is heartless, we're moved. But that man's speaking lies. He's lost. But that woman is saying the wrong stuff on social media. She's lost. I realize she may be in a prison of her bad ideas or his wrong thoughts or their wrong, whatever. What I'm saying is the way they're supposed to know or his. We don't act like, talk like, think like. We've been wombed by God. We are the the children of God. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called the children of God. They will know your mind because of your love for one another. Blessed are the peacemakers. They will be called the sons and daughters of God. We above all the people on earth, if you belong to Yahweh, Yahweh, the first word that should describe us should be, maybe you don't vote like me, and maybe you don't think like me, and maybe you don't act like me, and maybe you're nothing like me, and you might even hate me. But I've been compassioned by a God that I was at war with. And if you've been compassioned, the only appropriate response is say it. Compassion. Compassion. See, whenever we separate our purpose from His compassion, we lose our way. Whenever you separate your justice from His compassion, you've lost your way. Whenever you separate your righteousness from His compassion, you've lost your way. Whenever you separate your morality, From his compassion, you've lost your way. I believe in morality. I believe in God's way. We believe in justice. We must be activists. But when your righteousness and justice are divorced from his compassion, they have ceased being on earth as it is in heaven, and they've started to be twisted on earth as it's not in heaven. So in verse 35, it says, Jesus goes through all the villages teaching principles, proclaiming good news, of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And, and I, I just want to point out, no one's got a problem with the teaching. Everyone loves a good TED Talk. TED Talks are viral. You want to, Brene Brown teaching on shame, everybody loves it. Biggest TED Talk ever. Great TED Talk. If we talk about healing, everybody's down with, let's go heal the sick, Let's and I am too, both miraculously and naturally. Christians and churches have started more hospitals than anyone in all of history, okay? So I'm down with, let's go do that. When it comes to a lot of these things, we've got no problem helping in the real world, giving some good principles. It's that middle, it's that middle of the three, there's a trifecta, teaching, preaching, and healing. It's that I'm not going to stick my middle finger up, but pretend I am, right? It's that, that middle one right there that seems to, maybe I will, okay, right? Ready? No, I won't. It, it just draws, it just draws a lot of attention. It's that, it's that proclaim, there's something, no one these days wants to be preachy, even though Jesus was. C- could I submit to you, the problem isn't being preachy. The problem is being preachy without being compassionate. Right now, what I want to say to you is, if you are compassionate and you're not preachy, your compassion is shallow. Because, because if you've got the antidote, if you have found a cure for AIDS and you're sitting on the cure, that is not compassion. Although you might say, well, I don't want to push that on anybody. I don't want anyone in the room to to think that I'm insinuating they might be HIV positive. Some of us are. Someone might have AIDS. Some of us do. Like, if you've got the cure for AIDS, give it to us. Can I get an amen? If you get the cure for cancer, there's nothing compassionate about saying, well, I don't want to push this on somebody. Like I don't want to suge- I don't want to give someone the bad news that they might have cancer. I want that them- I'd rather just give them Tylenol. It's, it's a lot less offensive to give someone, t- but friends, what I want to kind of make clear to you is this. Whenever we separate our purpose from his compassion, we lose our way. And God's compassion at, is this. At the root of the root, at, of the root, we come to verse 36 when it says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion because they were harassed and helpless. And he doesn't say because they were sick, because they were broke, because they were hungry. He says because they were, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Everybody say, bah. (laughs) Listen, see, lostness bothers God because he is a shepherd. We rightly insist that we must make a difference in the real world. But I want you to realize that Jesus' compassion was not just for human trafficking. Everyone in America, not all over the world, but everyone, everyone in America is down with, let's end human trafficking. It takes very little supernatural spirit of God compassion to be against human trafficking in the Western United States context. Now, if there's places in the East where they would argue with us on that. But every culture has some points of compassion that come naturally. Human trafficking is one of those. There's there's nothing wrong with, and I think we need to say things like, listen, let's go preach the gospel, but if I go into a country and a man has an empty belly and he's got stomach pains, it is futile to expect someone to listen to my gospel when they're distracted by the screams of their stomach and they're hungry. Feed them. It is wrong to advocate for a God that will give us mercy, but look at educational inequities. I mean, even in our own, in our own city, we can think about things like, let's make sure we have good education. We can look at in our culture at large and say, let's make sure hospitals are done right and there's good health care. Let's, let's be concerned for all these various real life, under your fingernails, get dirty kind of causes and all sorts of things along these lines. We must call out injustices. We must work those things which are right. But I want you to realize that at the root, of the root 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 of all the other roots of every issue on planet earth is this. Humans are sheep that need a shepherd whose name is Jesus. See, lostness moves God. Like when when, when there's a lost soul, it moves him. That means he is moved by human trafficking. He is moved by hunger. He is moved by lack of clean water. And by the way, you're going to a church... 50% of everything we spend goes to missions in the poor. We believe in spending ourselves for those that can never pay us back, for making a difference in the real world. Literally this year, there will be $3 million plus that will go to missions this year. So I just want to get clear. This is not a copping out. But it is saying that you could go give all your money away to feed the poor. And if a man is poor... That's bad, but he can recover from it. And if a man is hungry, that's sad, but he can recover from that. And if someone is is messed up with their education that's bad, and they might have to repeat a grade, they can recover from that. But please hear me on this, and I'm going to say it strong. If a human being dies and they do not know Jesus Christ, they have been struck with a blow they will never recover from. I know this is not popular. I know we're like, hey, don't mention hell. I'm going to say it. There is a hell. There is There is a hell. Real people are going to that real place. There is a real reality separated from God where wrath comes upon people and it ought not happen because the debt has already been paid by Jesus. The way has already been made by Jesus. See, lostness bothers God because he is a shepherd. The root cause of all the problems is when Adam and Eve said to God, talk to the hand, we don't want you. Like, we, we don't want your shepherding. So yes, let's go feed people. Let's go free slaves. And let's go, let's go work righteousness and justice. But my friends, if we do not get God's heart for the lost, we have not gotten God's heart. Lostness bothers God because when God looks at the... It's, it's like if you went to your doctor and you're like, oh, my stomach. And your doctor's like, oh man, I'll tell you what, let me, let me give you a pain pill. You're like, oh, well, thank man, I feel so much better for, for 12 hours. And you're like, oh, it's still hurting. Oh. At some point, you go to another doctor and, and you end up finding out you have a tumor and it's easily removed. And you go back to your first doctor. You say, Doc, what's up, doc? And he's like, well, I didn't want to offend you by, by, by making you think. M- my friends, when, when we think we will go into this world, And let's talk structural issues. If you think at the at the structural of all structural issues, is a problem of a shepherd deprived humanity, that our sheep that were made for a shepherd. I know we think you know, a lot of you are very intellectual sheep. A lot of you are very educated sheep. A lot of you have Ph.D. sheep. A lot of you, are you've got, you're an Enneagram 1 sheep, and there's Enneagram 7 sheep, and, and there's Myers-Briggs ENTJ sheep. And there's all, kind, all sorts of different sheep. Sheep all go, bah, and they get lost. And if you've ever read about them or studied them or looked at them, they're just like pathetic. Their legs are like, are you kidding me? It's like the joke of the animal kingdom. Who are they going to run from? A snail barely. Their teeth, their little buck teeth, they're not even couldn't hurt anything. I mean they're just like silly little things. They've got no natural defenses. They've got no claws. They're their little hands. I mean if someone came up to fight with them, they've got nothing. In fact, they're not just nothing, they're super anxious. They, like, they're known to get lost. Like, sheep, they're so distractible. Like, they'll, they'll get distracted, and they'll, they'll follow a bug, and they'll walk right off of a hill and fall down. A, I mean, just literally, where am I going, you know? And they just make their way down. Silly little animals, and they get lost. And then they get lost in places where they're, like, hiding. They're, like, running. They're hiding, and they're in a bush, and they're scared to death. And the night's coming. They should be quiet, but they don't. You ever watched a movie and like the person's in, you know, they're, they're like in the closet and someone with a knife is out. Yeah, we see anybody in the room? And all you're sitting there, don't make noise. The sheep is the one that's like, here I am, here I am, here I am. <laughs> they're just ridiculous. They're pathetic and helpless and harassed. And they sit there with nothing to do and no way to. to the only hope for sheep is a shepherd. And Jesus makes a very offensive statement. He's like, y'all, you all, ustedes, you're sheep. I mean, it's not just others, isn't it? I have gotten into trouble, and I should just keep my mouth shut, and I open my my mouth, and I make things worse. How many of you have ever made your life worse? (laughs) You're like, I'll fix this. How many of you have ever, who knows somebody that when they fix things, they unfix things worse? Look at the person next to you and just say, bah. In Ezekiel 34, Jesus is picking up on imagery that the prophets had spoken about for centuries in Ezekiel 34. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you shepherds. He's talking to the leaders of Israel. He says, woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. Shouldn't shepherds take care of the flock? Like, I'm thinking about this a lot as a shepherd, as a pastor right now, and I'm looking at what's happening in Christianity, and like, I want want us to do what he says here. You have not strengthened, I want us to feed God's sheep. He says, you have not strengthened the weak, or healed the sick, or bound up the injured. You haven't brought back the strays. Right now, we're seeing so many believers straying. They don't need you to gossip about them on social media. They need you to go bring them back. The last thing someone needs when they're like, man, I'm in a crisis of faith. I'm not sure what I believe. They don't need you going around to 15 other brothers and sisters saying, well, I wonder what's going on. Let's just pray for sister so-and-so. I saw her car at someone's house last night, a male's car. And let's just be praying. I think she might be straying. It doesn't say go talk about sheep when they're straying, it says you go bring them back. If you notice they're gone, that I would say you are appointed and anointed to go help bring them back. Well, I don't know what to do. I'll tell you what doesn't do it is gossip. He says, and you haven't searched for the lost. See, in God's economy, shepherding is not just what you do with the found, shepherding is what you do with the lost. Like we think of shepherds as like well, evangelists go when for Jesus it's all shepherding. The, the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the shepherd, the teacher, they're all shepherding according to Ezekiel 34. He says, I want you to go and bring all these back because, verse 6, my sheep have wandered all over the mountains on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth, and no one searched or looked. And this is my concern right now for Christians. Because if I say, Christians, let's go fight so, human trafficking. Everyone's going to be like, yeah. If I say, Christians, let's go work for justice. Ah, depending on what issue I bring up, half of you will say, yeah. right. If I mention another issue, another half will say, yeah, but if I say, Christians, let's go search for the lost. Let's go seek the lost. I already know because we're seeing it everywhere. <sighs> I don't want to, like, push. I don't want to be presumptuous. Uh, I don't want I, I to push my beliefs on other people. You mean to say you don't want to go search for the lost? Amen. Then we might need to rename our churches the False Shepherd Churches of America. Because according to Jesus, the shepherd's heart is that: is when someone is lost without Jesus. I'm not saying be judgmental. I'm not saying be condemning. I'm not saying they have to come to Greenhouse. There are way better churches in this street than Greenhouse. There's way better preachers in this city than Mike Pat's. Way better everything than what we've. They don't need Greenhouse. They don't need me. They need Jesus. I can tell you that. They need Jesus. If someone doesn't have Jesus, not only are they doomed in death, they're lost in life. Have you forgotten how good it is to have all your sins gone? I mean, some of us, it was so long ago, we forgot how good, like, if you've ever been doing your yard and your body is full of the dirt, and like, I was mowing my yard this weekend, and and I'm just filthy, and and then I take a shower, and it's like, oh, oh, have you forgotten how wonderful it is to know that Jesus wipes away your debts and cleanses your sins and takes your conscience and makes it clean, and you get new life? Oh, man. Oh, man. Well, I don't want to impose that on someone. What? Someone that's never had a shower? You don't want to let them know there's a shower? Well, what if they get offended? What if they don't? Jesus said the harvest is plentiful. Do you know what that means? People are more ready than you think they are. Ruthie and I, I don't remember what day we were out taking a walk this past week, and as we're taking our walk in our neighborhood, we start talking to one of our neighbors, and she's from, she, she was from another religion. She's Jewish, and we're having a conversation. And it's, anyway, we end up finding out there was like cancer involved and all this kind of thing. Well, I'm like, well, you know what? I, and here's the catch I would love to tell you I'm bolder than I am. Like, I would love to tell you, I'm it's just, I'm always like, well. I would like to speak to you of the balm of Gilead right now in the name of the Lord. Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate one, I am here to announce to you good news. I would love to say I've always got this boldness. I'm sitting there like ready to kind of move on. and This woman was very talkative and and precious and sweet. But I was like, I was kind of, and then she mentions cancer. I'm like, man. Ruthie prays for people all the time that got healed. We were in, on a missions trip in Spain. Didn't even find out for six weeks later when we came back. Two people she prayed for with cancer got healed. Two different people. The, the doctor's like, hey, they're completely healed. So I'm like, oh, how can I not? And I'm like, and even then, I didn't even have the boldness of like, pre, like again, I'm embarrassed to say it's not even like I presented the gospel to her. I was like, well, I kept it very general. My wife has prayed for sick people that have actually, and I try to even use like, Non church cured, you know. She's talked to you know cancer patients and they've been cured, you know. I said, "Would you let her pray for you?" She says, "Yes." I'm kind. Of, if it was me, I'm sort of not. I was not in a bold moment. I would have been doing something more like tame. I would have been like even speaking her language in the name of the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, by the shalom of the land of Israel, and thank you for Jerusalem, oh God. Like I would have said something like that. Ruthie puts her hands on her. Ruthie says. Jesus, I now pray in your name, Jesus, that you're going to touch this precious woman and that you're going to take this woman. And she says, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm sitting there. And I loved it, but I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, go <laughs> on. You know, I'm sitting there like that. And I'm, I'm just kind of like, my eyes are shut. Have you ever been praying and you're like, oh, don't open it, don't even look, don't look, don't look, don't look. I open my eyes. First words out of our neighbor's mouth. Does your church... Let Jewish people come to it. And I'm like, man, if Ruthie had prayed in my coward-like state, do you realize you've got neighbors that are way more ready than you know they are? Like, tell them. Like, the, the gospel is like... I often find myself trying to like explain it or defend it. The gospel's like a lion. You, you don't have to defend the lion. You just let him out of the cage. You just open the cage and you let the lion do its work. Jesus Christ is the Lord. He came to earth. He lived the sinless life I should have lived. He died the brutal death I should have died. He was buried. He rose from the dead. And everyone that trusts in him comes alive. Someone might not believe in that. What I'm telling you is you've got neighbors that are way more interested than you know. There are students in your 11th grade class that are way more ready than you know. There are people in Broward Hall, in Graham Hall, in Sled Hall, more than you know. There are students that will be at Santa Fe in between, you know, 11 and 1 o'clock when you're sitting there in the cafeteria for the next class that are more ready than you realize. There are people that you are working with every single day that you always assumed are Christians, and they're not. And you need to drop the name and use his name and let the lion out of the cage because lostness bothers God. And it's supposed to bother us. In 1998, in May of 1998, Christopher Searcy was playing basketball with his friends. He got shot. There was a shooting that happened. He got shot in his aorta. His friends took his body, got him as close to the hospital, ran into the hospital. He was 40 feet from the hospital. They went in. They begged the hospital staff, will you come out and help our friend? And they said, we will not. It is against hospital policy to help anyone that's not in the physical building. A cop finally took a wheelchair, went out, took Christopher, put him in the wheelchair, brought him in, and then they treated him. But it was too late, because an hour after getting there, he died of all preventable issues. And I heard that story, and I was like, that's where we are right now. If someone fits in our bubble, we've got compassion. If someone fits in our political, ideological, religious bubble, we've got tons of compassion. If they come to our church, but, but, but friends, like, the fish don't jump on docks. we we got to go fish. we, 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 we got to go. Th- and, and the question I'm having for us is, are, are, we, are we moved? Is, and I get it. We're like, well, I've got compassion for me and mine. The gospel is that you and I belong to the devil. We belong to hell. We belong to wrath. And God took us who were his enemies, and he made us his own. And was moved for us. And he sends us out that, we are, that you are moved for people that will never believe like you. That will never have your opinion of sexuality or your opinion of politics or your opinion. Will you be moved with compassion in a way that it... See, God moves by what moves him. And I've just been praying this week. I'm like, Jesus, move us. Move us again. Your primary purpose... Your primary purpose is to join Jesus in his rescue mission of compassion. Yes, go work in the medical field. Yes, go do your education. Yes, go to UF. Yes, go to Santa Fe. Yes, go to Buholtz. Yes, go to Kanapaha Middle School. But attach your purpose, your assignment to his compassion and to his ministry because lostness bothers jesus even now i pray that you open our eyes when you saw the crowds you had compassion show us people in our lives even right now will you ask god lord show me people in my life that you've got compassion for that you want me to have compassion for and then the last verse it's beautiful He says, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. So ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. It's it's rare, but Jesus just flips instantly. He flips the, the, the metaphor. The metaphor was a sheep and shepherd. Now he flips it to harvesters. The means through which God shepherds his sheep is harvesters. Lord, we want you to shepherd. Yeah, he will. But the means by which he shepherds his flock is harvesters. And they're more ready than you can imagine. What I want you to know is that you will never come fully alive until you are called to do what God has called you to do. And you are called to join the good shepherd in his rescue mission. Last week, I was talking to John and John Lash, our pastor down in Greenhouse, South Florida. And he was just coming out of a meeting with a guy that a year ago he prayed with, that was surrendering to Jesus. And a year ago, his life was in shambles and a wreck. And and it just his life was a mess. And it's one year later, he's running their family business. His, his life has come alive. God has prospered the work of his hands. It's been amazing what he's done. And it's his one-year anniversary of freedom coming up. And so he reached out to loved ones and friends that he has that do not know Jesus. He was inviting them to his house where he was cooking for them this amazing dinner, lobster and all this stuff. And he was walking around his house praying that when his friends and family come over, they will feel the love of God. Because on his one-year anniversary of his freedom, he wants to tell them his story. Because if he set him free, then he can set them free. And he said, "God." And he was just weeping and moved with compassion for those that don't know Jesus. I think I'm supposed to remind somebody here. There's some of you that you used to be moved by that coworker or partner or person in your life, and you're like, "Well, they—they they know I've invited them." To church. Oh man, can I beg you? Don't give up! 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 This week, I was at the gym with my son, and he lost his phone, and we're like, where's the phone, you know, and so, I conscripted anybody I could find, we lost a phone, and we're walking around, Gainesville Health and Fitness, we lost the, f- we're looking for the phone, I said, you, can- help! we lost a phone, it's an iPhone 8, you know, it's like, okay, that'll do it, there's not a lot of those left, and so, some- <laughs> so we're looking for the iPhone, and we're walking around, we're like, we couldn't, we didn't walk out and say, well, God is sovereign, If we find it, we find it. But when it comes to the souls of humans, I'm watching us like we invite someone to church or to God. Well, I I told him, I mean, God is sovereign. He knows who's destined to be in heaven or not. If we would start treating people at least as good as we treat our cell phones, we could turn this city upside down. I have eight kids. That's a lot of kids. I remember we were out of town one time, and I was in charge, and I lost one of the kids. When when Ruthie, she said, wait. There was a comment. It was the same child that lost the phone. uh, She said, Michael, where is, and she mentioned said child, whom I'll remain unnamed so I don't have to pay $5 for this illustration. She said, where is he? I'm like, ah. I started talking to somebody. I was so distracted. She's like, Michael. You know what I didn't say to her? Honey, we still have seven. Let's not, all be, let's not be all about numbers. Oh, we got to have a big family. Uh, I don't want to one, I don't wanna be in one of those churches where there's all these people. I don't want to go to one of these churches where there's, you know, after last service. I was like, man, I just keep seeing all these new people coming, and new people coming. I'm like, yeah, because Father's trying to save lost children. You know what I didn't say to her? Well, well you know, we don't want to be a mega family. We don't want to be those mega families, you know, where there are TV shows about them. Ruthie was like, stop what you're doing. If anybody cares about me, then you're going to care about what I care about. My son is walking down International Drive in Orlando, Florida. Everybody, stop what you're doing until we find him. Yes. Jesus said the kingdom is like, he told a parable, and he starts with this lost sheep, lost coin, lost son. And when the lost son, prodigal son, comes home, it says, when he came home, the father was moved with compassion and overcome with joy because his son came home. If you want to give Jesus a gift, I'll tell you what gives him joy. When one sinner repents. What Jesus loves, see, see, 2 Peter 3 says, God is not willing that any should perish, but he wants all to come to repentance. So if you're like, well, maybe it's God's will that that guy goes to hell. No, I can already tell you it's God's will that that guy repents. You can already know. You don't even have to do the mental gymnastics theologically. You can already walk up to Tiffany at work. You can already walk up to Jerome in the neighborhood. You can already walk up to someone else in your dorm and say, oh, I, Leon, listen, I, I can tell you, he Loves you. He died for you. He wants you. And and what will happen is when you get a hold, when that happens in your life, something changes. So so how do we apply this sermon? I, I put cards on every chair, but I do this on my phone, honestly. I just make a VIP card. Here's the application of the sermon today. I want you to start praying. He says, because of all this, pray the Lord of the harvest that he will send out laborers. Pray for Bruce, pray for Tammy, pray for pray for every human that you know that you don't know for sure knows Jesus. Make a VIP, very important person, list. It's on my phone. I have it in my notes. I put little cards. Sometimes I put it on a card, put it in my Bible, and pray for this. I've been asking God all week long that at least 1,000 people in Greenhouse would pray for a VIP card. I can't make someone respond. I can make them get prayed for. And what I have found is this. When I start to pray, God changes the way I look at things. When he saw the crowds, he was moved with compassion. I want you to look at the basketball team differently. I want you to look at your third grade classroom differently. I want you to look at that annoying 11th grader that's doing something in your classroom. I want you to look at that bully in ninth grade differently. I want you to look at that very fine looking guy that seems to have it all together in Graham Hall differently than you have him. I want you to look at things. I want you to look not just with eyes of flesh, but compassion. Because this is Father's heart. Our primary purpose is to join Jesus in his rescue mission of compassion. I'm going to end it with a story and one last scripture in Isaiah, and then we're going to pray. Paul Tournier was one of the great Christian counselors of this last hundred years. He wrote a book about the healing of people, of, of how people get healed, and, and lots, of, lots of story about, like, secrets and shame and guilt. And he wrote the story. He was loaded with stories, and even though he was a doctor, it was not a very technical book. He showed it to some friends, and they suggested he not try to get it published because it wasn't technical enough and whatever. And then he, you know, went to another friend. They said the same thing. Hey, you know, don't do this. So he we sent it to some publishers, and they, they were kind of at first saying no as well. And so he went back to a professor of his, from grad school that was not a, was actually an atheist. He went back to this professor and he said, Hey, could I just read you my book? And so he goes and he he takes a chapter out and, and he reads a chapter. And when he gets to the end of the chapter, his professor just sits there and looks at him. And he said, Read another chapter. So he read another chapter. He said, Read another chapter. When he was done, his professor looked at him and said, Paul? I think we should pray, which confused him. He said, Professor, you, you, you don't believe in that, and I, I know you're an atheist or whatever. Like, why are you saying that? You've, you've always been an atheist, right? He said, yeah. You don't believe in prayer. He said, yeah, it's true. He said, have you started to believe in Jesus Christ? He said, I have. He said, when did that happen? And he said, just now just now. Do you understand the power of a king who has come to this earth and paid all of your debts and washed away all of your sins? Not because he had to, but I, Isaiah 49, would you put it up there for me? In, in Isaiah 49, he, he says it like this. Isaiah 49, verse 15 and then 16. Can a woman forget her nursing child? That she should have no compassion Reha, on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Well, how can we know? Read the next verse, verse 16. Give me that next verse, guys. Behold, I have engraved you On the palm of my hands your walls are continually before me you know how i know jesus has compassion for you this is what paul tournier's professor found out jesus engraved you on the palm of his hands he was moved because he loves you he was bruised for our iniquities he was wounded for our transgressions the chastisement for our peace was upon him by his stripes were healed. He engraved you on the palms of his hands that when he rose from the dead, the scars were still there. Glorified body, scarred, pierced forever as an eternal reminder. You are the one that he loves. You. And maybe there's someone here that you've never really truly believed until just now. And by the way, that's how it works. There's a just now that happens. There's a just now when someone says, Jesus, you're the Lord. Maybe it happened earlier when Ruth was up here, and there were some of you that raised your hands. Maybe you're online, and it has has not happened. Maybe it's not been until just now. What I want you to know is that your secrets are safe with him. You don't need to tell me. The only confession you need to make is the confession of Jesus as Lord. You confess your sins to him. You confess Jesus to the universe. It's a wild thing that he takes a life of guilt and shame and secrets. Shh someone were to find all the skeletons in your closet, he takes a life of that and wipes all of it out on that cross. He's engraved you on the palms of his hands. Who is like Jesus? Who is like him? If you're in here and you've never done that, I'm gonna give you one more chance. If you're online and you haven't done that until just now, I want you to just now call Jesus the Lord because the Bible says if you confess him before humans, he's going to confess you before the Father. Maybe there's a professor in the room that up until now, it's always been, I'm not quite sure, but you're strangely moved today because not anything I would say because of what he's done. You were engraved on the palms of his hands.